What's up, Internet? You're tuning in episode 85 of the Flip Screen Games Podcast, a weekly video game podcast where two best buds from different nations come together to discuss the wide, wide world of video games. I'm your host, Pete and Messi, joined as always by my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Stephen Radford. Hello, hello. Hello, Steve. It's good to be back. Yeah, welcome back. How you I doing? missed a heck of a week. <laughs> you did miss a heck of a week. E3 died. And what else? E3 happened? died. Oh, the last New Zelda last footage. Was, uh, the last footage, of us the, came out on PC yeah, and it was a nightmare. Was a disaster. I, every yeah. show, every show, there was something, something crazy. I was watching from was a afar. <laughs> well, let's quickly recap that before we get in. What do you think of last week's, you know, I guess, bomb, bombastic week? Bumper. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to The Last of Us of it all, right, um, I feel like that feels like an unforced error on Sony's part, wanting to line up with the end of the show and pushing it out the gate while it was still hot. Um, Disappointing, but unsurprising. Uh, Breath of the Wild 2, or I'm sorry, Tears of the Kingdom, I should say, um, looks great. I have some questions about what I saw, but I think broadly, um, I'm more excited than not. And I think the, the new things that they're adding feel like meaningful... Uh, additions, but also feel like kind of natural evolutions. I don't of even what... think they're additions. I feel like they're replacements. I don't think we had the the old stuff in there. That's a great. That's a great point. And that's that's one of my questions. Is like, what does that look like? Who's to say? But mm-hmm. I do think the new stuff we saw feel like natural evolutions of the mechanics from the original game. And I think that's the thing I'm most excited about. Is like, how do you get past the sophomore slump? It's like it's meaningfully evolve, and it feels like that's what they're trying to do. Um, how some of those things feel in practice, we'll have to see. Uh, obviously the big one right is the e3 of it all um again i can't say it's surprising based on the last couple weeks and and the names we saw pull out um i think you and i had had a few conversations about kind of like what does this show even look like if none of these folks are here and you know if if it does go through like do you have um a ton of people that bought tickets and then don't ever want to go back because it was so lame you know and i think Mm -hmm. it was the right call ultimately um, to not tarnish the brand uh, any further, but well, know, they what, said what, they had no other option because it garnered that didn't garner enough support. They just didn't have the juice that they needed to make it what it's supposed yeah. to be. And uh, we have a question in the question block where we're going to talk a little bit more about E3 later. So I'll save the rest of my thoughts for then because I do have some some more specific things to take away. But um, I think ultimately, to put a pin on that, it's sad. It's a sad development. I think. In a lot of ways, especially the last couple of years, the industry has grown beyond E3. But I also think that uh, it was something that was very special for you know us as fans, but also I think for developers and um, the ability to make deals. And, and it seems like, um, from what I've heard, it seems like GDC felt more business-oriented this year. And a lot of yeah. those types of conversations yeah. are moving to places like GDC and, and some of those other solutions. So you hope that GDC will just grow over the next couple of years and it will be more popular and it will be more accessible and um, it will be the kind of place that, you know, um, we've talked in the past about like in uh, one of Jason's books, the chapter about Enter the Gungeon and how that game's, you know, existence kind of came down to a chance meeting at an E3, right? Um, so there's there's things like that that uh, you don't want to see get lost, but you hope that the Jeff Keeleys and the GDCs. And yeah, the other, uh, I think, uh, I think the GDC step up. GDC is going to kind of uh, fill in that niche, I think, for a lot of uh, indies. Like, I know um, there was a, an interview with the Panic Guys over on uh, an, an Apple focused podcast um, called uh, Digital, uh, not Digital Foundry, 
uh, Daring Fireball, the talk show. And um, they showed off the the play date at GDC for the first time. That was when they showed people they like had it in their pocket and they'd be like, hey, look at this. And they'd like pull it out of their pocket in a, in a stairwell away from people and they'd, they'd get people's impressions and see what they thought. And that's where they spoke to the the Edge magazine guys and were able to to kind of get it on the, the front page of that magazine and have that, that launch for it. Yeah, so like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about E3 in a minute here, but we've got some other big headlines to get through. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, I mean, I guess the question that's on my mind this week is, is Konami poised for a major comeback? Because it feels like maybe so. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about PSVR 2's, I think, safe to say, disastrous launch uh, a few weeks removed and, and what Sony can do to try and write the ship at this point, as well as a bunch of questions from you guys in the question block. So we've got a jam-packed show for you today. So let's just jump right into it. Konami uh, is making some headlines because they have uh, relocated one of their existing studios to its new Konami Osaka studio. And the reason this is interesting, right, is there's been a lot of movement from Konami. In the last couple weeks, months, we'll say, right? We we just had the Dead Cells Return to Castlevania DLC launch uh, last month to pretty significant acclaim. Um, we have the Bloober team working on Silent Hill 2, although that had a bit of a mild controversy this week with some misunderstandings about where it is in the process. But we know it's, it's coming. And then, of course, there's been that ongoing rumor um, that had its origins on uh, the VGC uh, podcast where they talked about um, that Konami at least had plans to have a really big presence at E3 before it was canceled, and that they were going to have both a Metal Gear Solid remake and a new Castlevania title uh, able to show at E3. Was that, Whether was that or not, planned for this year? That was that was according to VGC's weekly podcast. That I mean, was I, the first I episode that, that they dropped. Because um, they were talking about a Metal Gear Solid. I think there was rumors of that last year that we were potentially going to see. It's we been saw cooking the, for a while. Yeah, and we saw the um, the Silent Hill stuff instead. But they also announced the the Suikoden stuff as well. They got a, a they've got a new that's mobile true. bomber, a new mobile bomber man exclusive to Apple Arcade that's just come out. So they've got a bunch of stuff that they've kind of been working with. I think the difference is. It's all seemingly been external teams, right? And this Correct. seems to be a conversation as to whether it's going to come back in house with the new Osaka studio that they're and uh, yeah, I think I think what we learned today seems to point to that, right? So, um, like we said, we have all of their existing studios getting moved to this new space, uh, and they had a little bit of of conversation in Konami's press release about about this and kind of their goal is this new. Uh, quote-unquote, creator's first concept, right? So this is this is directly coming from Konami's press release. It is characterized by a well-developed environment where creators can demonstrate their full potential and is set up in a location with convenient transportation access. As the major production center in Western Japan, the facility is fully equipped with motion capture equipments and sound studios necessary for product development. Then they go on to talk about how they have another studio that they're planning on opening in Tokyo uh, by 2025. Uh, so again, pulling from their uh, their their uh, press release here. Scheduled for completion in 2025, Konami Group's next generation R&D center, Konami Creative Front Tokyo Bay, is in the process of construction at Ariake Kotoku, Tokyo. 
in order to achieve further sustainable growth in the significantly expanding entertainment field, Konami Group will strengthen its production development capabilities and continue to provide products and services for the next generation. So, I mean, to me, that sounds clear as day, right? What they're, I mean, what, it's not what clear their to me, though. And well, I don't know, because it's not clear to me as to whether this is going to be a studio that they're like subbing out to people as a creators first kind of thing. Like, can you license, say, the the motion capture space and I'm going to, say, use the sound studio to record some stuff? Or is it we're making new games here? I think I think it's I think it's clear that that's what the intention is here based on the language here. Right. Like them saying that. Uh, in order to achieve further sustainable growth in the significantly expanding entertainment field, right? Like to me, this speaks to Konami realizing that their IP and being able to invest in media properties is a, um, a kind of an untapped area for growth, right? And we know a big reason that Konami kind of shifted away from major AAA game development um, back in what, 2015, 2016, um, was because. You know, Konami in in the West, we really only associate them with games. But in Japan, they have a pretty diverse business, right? They had those like health and fitness centers. Um, obviously, everybody talks about the pachinko machines and all that stuff. I I think that this is a strategic move from Konami. I think that them bringing a lot of their IP back by licensing it out to third parties is a step in that direction because I think they do want based on this, right? Them opening a new studio with the state of the art technology and them literally saying in no uncertain terms um, that they want to strengthen their product development capabilities, right? That's internal product development, right? Um, and then continue to provide products and services for the next generation. That I think could speak to what you're talking about, maybe with partnering with other studios, yeah. licensing out technology and things like that. They have a great engine. They could, you know, the Fox engine, things like that, that they could license out. Um, but I think the reason that they're doing this, right, is they call out specifically in the significantly expanding entertainment field. I think part of that is like them just wanting to be ahead of the curve, right? But also when you look at what the other um, business areas that they specialize in, and this is just totally armchair speculation of, of Mia, who is not a business person. The other industries where they are most strong are volatile. When it comes to a recession, entertainment is one of the least volatile industries during a recession, right? Or during a time of economic upheaval, going to a, a, a gym. That's one of the first things that you're going to cut gambling. One of the first things that you're going to cut. It's the same story we're, we're going to get into later with VR, right? Like people's belts get tighter when times get tough, but people don't stop looking for entertainment. And we've talked ad nauseum about how, you know, traditional triple uh, A single player video games or multiplayer, I guess they're obviously a bigger risk um, are the best ROI that you can get in entertainment. If you buy a $70, even a full price, $70 triple A game, most of them are going to go for what? 40 plus hours, 30 plus hours at, at a minimum, maybe 20. Um, but even so, well, it depends like, what you buy. If you buy in persona, that's like over a hundred. You, you get right. Yeah. And for you, money, if you're charging it by the hour, Sure. And you compare that to what you're spending on, you know, cable or or going to a movie or going to a concert or going out to dinner. Right. And like it's night and day, you know, like you could spend that much getting a mid tier meal um, anywhere. Right. Like seventy dollars is not 
it's not that much money when you get right down to it compared to uh, other forms of entertainment when you are hard up, right? And where where like the budget is gets tighter. So I I think given that and given the the success they found with like you know licensing out Castlevania to make the animated series on Netflix and things like that, right? Um, it makes sense that they want to leverage their IP in bigger and better ways than they have since they moved out of game development because a lot of their IP has just been sitting dormant and it's not making them money. And what's the point of that? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't really understand why, why such a big U-turn, right? What was, the, what was the reasoning they gave back in 2015, 2016 for closing down Kojima Studio, for example? I think... And, I th- um, and I, I will say, like, this is based on my memory of those events, right? I didn't go and look at what their official statement was before this this segment. Um, but my memory of the the confrontation, right, was that, like, Kojima wanted to spend more time and more money developing Metal Gear Solid Five. Konami felt that they had invested enough time and resources into it. They wanted to get it out. And there's that whole, like, unfinished portion of the game that, like, everybody talks about when you talk about MGS five where like the story doesn't really end because it got rushed, you know? And, and I think that was the thing that ended up kind of driving a wedge between them. And then it was this thing of like, and we know this, right? Like maintaining AAA studios is expensive. Like it's not a, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not a business for the risk averse. And when you are in a br- bigger, broader company that owns all these different like business sectors and you have a board to, answer to and you have this question of why are we investing hundreds of millions of dollars to make the fox engine and make metal gear solid five and do all this stuff when our pachinko machines or our health clubs are really the the bottom line of the business right like those are where the money is really coming from so why are we why are we doing this why are we doing that and i think you know um the idea that the risk um not the recession excuse me um the pandemic would adjust that thinking makes sense to me right because what are two industries that got probably pretty heavily impacted during lockdown gyms and gambling right like again the stuff that they were so bullish about in 2016 probably they took a bath on the last couple years where there was uh you know a limited ability for you to monetize those businesses whereas like video games saw historic growth right they saw historic um purchasing during that period because video games are a safe thing to do when you're stuck inside. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. Maybe, maybe Konami saw that people were buying their, um, their kind of legacy titles, I guess, if there were people picking up the Metal Gear Solids and the Castlevania collection and some of the new stuff they put out because they, you know, they have put collections out despite not developing new games. We have the Cowabunga collection that they sent us a code for. Um, it looks like uh, I, I had a look back. There's an article from Forbes from from uh, Ollie Bardo back in um, 2015, and it looks like you're right. It was a it was an argument between Kojima and Konami. Kojima Studio got special treatment despite its high operating costs. People within Konami felt that that was unfair, so they wanted to kind of bring it back in house and stop the. I think the official line was stop the focus on individual studios and have it just be a Konami branded um, title. Uh, and Kojima just was not happy with that, and so they they ousted him eventually when he wouldn't um, wouldn't kind of come on board with the new plans. But they also spoke about being left behind when it comes to mobile gaming, and we've seen that with um, with a bunch of of other 
players in the industry. And that's why Microsoft, one of the reasons Microsoft has, has put down as acquiring Activision Blizzard King is that they feel that they were left behind in the mobile market. Sony feels like they were left behind in the mo- mobile market. Take-Two bought Zynga for the same reason. So I do wonder if, I know they've got a Bomberman game over on Apple Arcade and they've got some mobile titles. Do you think that we'll see mainly mobile titles or free-to-play and like chasing the trends like like that? Or do you think it will be a return to the traditional Konami titles that we have come to expect from them? I think it will be both. Um, I think when you look at most of the companies that have a really healthy portfolio, it's a mixture, right? Like you, you don't want to leave revenue streams untapped. And if there are opportunities for mobile wins, like Bomberman and like, again, like um, in the last couple of years, they launched that Yu-Gi-Oh! I think it was Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Masters or something like that, where it was a, a mobile Yu-Gi-Oh! game. Um, something like Frogger, right? Contra, you can easily see some of the more arcade style games uh, potentially either having like a, a mobile version or having like a, a indie revival where maybe we get a Frogger collection, maybe we get a new Frogger or something like that. Um, but then I, I do think you'll see them leverage their bigger AAA IPs in a more AAA way. I think this new studio that they're talking about launching uh, in 2025 sounds to me like a studio that is aimed at developing new AAA games. And I think I think that makes sense, right? Like I think... Um, done right like they could make a lot of money just remaking metal gear right like like let's do a remat a re of true remake of metal gear solid one two three well, another another twin snakes yeah but that's the thing right is like people would buy that like at this point twin snakes is a retro game that game came out like 20 years ago um so yeah. you know it's like there's an entire i mean honestly at this point there's probably two whole generations of gamers for which metal gear is just this legendary title you've heard of and not a game that you've played and not well, a game i think that... some of it but even me even, like you know someone who talks at ad nauseum about video games when they have really no right to on a podcast every single week i i've never played uh full fully through metal gear not not a single one of them but i i've, I've watched people play them it's just it's a real kind of blip in my gaming history and i think if they did a remake and i wonder if they're looking at some of their um some of their contemporaries like Capcom, right? And the success that they're having with similar titles, because obviously the Resident Evil title is is often compared to Silent Hill. I wonder if they're, they're looking over there and seeing the success that they're having over the fence and going, yeah, we want a slice of that action. Yeah. And, and rather than doing it in-house, they partnered up with a bunch of other studios like Bluebird. And, and I think that's the thing, right? Is like they have so many IP that they own that are good and valuable, but like they, do they really want to run like 10 studios? Probably not. Right. Like I, I think the idea of them running a handful of studios that are like, these are our crown jewels and they get all the attention and all the resources and yada, yada, yada. And then we do, you know, um, partner with like the dead spaces of the world and some of the other, you know, um, like again, Bluebird, some of these other like smaller independent studios to, you know, bolster it, right? And, like, get more stuff out the door and have, like, a little bit more of, like, uh, a Marvel Games kind of thing where it's, like, okay, like, who's a good development partner for this game? Who's a good partner for this game? Um, Do they I have enough, there's... though? Like, I've looked at their list, right? And that you've, you've got here. Metal Gear, Castlevania, Silent Hill, Contra, Frogger, Yu-Gi-Oh!, DDR, and Bomberman. Is that enough? Because, really, it's, like, three prestigious titles, I would say. Metal Gear, Castlevania, and Silent Hill. And the rest are kind of 
lost by the wayside to some extent. I mean, I, I guess Yu-Gi-Oh is pretty popular and DDR is popular. That's the thing, that's right? It's, like, it's, such a, it's such a tough thing of like, I think they own a lot of valuable IP. I think they have a lot of IP that they have also like not done a good job of of continuing to stand by and bolster and like make like maintain relevance you know like i think um i think that's fair but i also think that when you look at like this stuff that they do have in their war chest like all it takes is a good is a good game to bring a franchise back right like and the idea that something like you know contra for example that is a name people recognize is is a franchise people loved that hasn't had you know, like a, a a big meaningful entry in a while. Um, I think all you need to do is is put out something new, and then it's like, okay, like that's 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 all it takes, right? To really got to be good though, because like we yeah, saw that with Bomberman. Bomberman R came out. Everyone was really excited about a brand new Bomberman game, and it kind of flopped a little bit. And so much so that we had to have like a, a rejuvenated version. Then it went free to play for a while, and then yep. we finally got a sequel. And I've not really heard anyone talk about the sequel um and, and that's the thing shame. like those are those are big ifs right like they do need to hit they are going to need to be good but it's also like any of these could be right like there's dozens of good castlevanias there's tons of good metal gear games right like the idea that somebody right the right partner could come along and make a new castlevania that slaps or a new metal gear that slaps or that they could have a major revival of an IP like Yu-Gi-Oh or something like that um, is certainly not outside the realm of possibility at all. You know, it's, it's just a matter of like how dedicated are they to doing it? And, you know, what are the challenges between them, you know, meaningfully achieving it? And I don't think that that's a simple answer. Right. But I also think that it's like, if this is where they're going, like if this is the direction that they're taking and they're committed to it, there's no reason that it can't work out. It's just a matter of like, what does that look like? Right? Like, is it something where, you know, like does silent Hill two come out and disappoint, right? Like does, um, you know, this, this metal gear remake come out and set the world on fire and capture people's attention the way that RE two remake did. Right. And now RE four remake is again. Um, Those are, I think a great example, right? When you think about those games, I think a lot of people who never played the originals, right, who were too young when they came out or weren't even alive when they came out. Um, or just even you look at it and it's just like, yeah, it's too old now. I don't want yeah. fixed camera angles and tank controls. I want to play a game that feels modern and fresh. And I'm, right, I'm one of exactly. them. Exactly. And, and I think there are dozens of people who are new Resident Evil fans that came on because of yeah, that. Yeah, Max was on one of them, seven right? Seven or eight. He, yeah, Max played yeah. Uh, RET Remake first and then went on to play Seven and Village and he's now a real convert into the, the whole franchise, which is great. Exactly. So, you know, it's like, I think the idea that that could happen for Metal Gear or Castlevania or, or one of these other franchises is like super doable, you know? And it's like, you know, is this like the most stacked list of all time? Like, no, maybe not. But I mean, like, I think, you know, you look at like a Capcom or any of these other studios, right? Like, you only need a few really big hits to build your brand on and they have them. You know, they just need Capcom, to bring them back meaningfully. Keeps, Capcom keeps developing new IP, though, and that's something that I feel like Konami struggled to do and didn't didn't really do. It yeah. feels like Metal Gear was the last real big new IP that they developed. Maybe Silent Hills, because that, that was afterwards. 
but they didn't have anything like what Capcom's been doing, right? Even stuff like Monster Hunter is a relatively new franchise for them. Uh, I mean, not really. That's the thing, though. I think I'd argue the same thing. Like you, like the first Monster Hunter came out in two thousand four, so it's twenty years old next year, right? Like first Resident <laughs> Evil came out in the nineties. Yeah, uh, Street the Fighter's 90s, old yeah. as hell. Mega well, Man's I mean, old but- as hell. Devil May Cry came out in the mm-hmm. early aughts. It's about twenty years old. Dead Rising is old. Marvel vs. Capcom is old. Ace Attorney's old. Like, what is the new Capcom franchise that they've come out with that hits on the same level as their retro stuff versus just keeping those relics? Because to me, the only one I can think of in the last several years is Dragon's Dogma. It was a new they've IP got, from them. Yeah, and that's that already 10 years pretty old. Well. That's they've, that got out the, they've got that though. new one, though, uh, Exo Primal coming right they are still sure. doing new things and fresh things and i think that's something that konami may struggle with to be honest i thought konami was was amping up their ip to be snapped up and just sell off the video game division and just just kind of get rid keep I, keep I, the arcade side of things keep the gyms keep all of that side of the business but sell the ip to someone like sony who wants something to bolster yeah. a couple their years ago teams. Or even a year or two ago, I think I would have agreed. But yeah, I think I think they're going in the opposite direction now. I yeah. think they're going to double down on games from from what we're seeing. Like the fact that we went from like they hadn't put out a new game since what like Metal Gear Survive and like the odd mobile thing, and then it's like they have. If if these rumors are true, right? They have four major games in development, or three major games in development, and a, a major partnership that games. just released. They got the three Silent Hill games that are in development. I think they announced three of them in one hit, from what I can remember. And yeah. then there was a Castlevania thing that they were working on, but maybe that was the Dead Cells one. I'm not sure. They've got a lot of but stuff yeah. that they're working on. But like, I just, I, I, I'm looking at this list for Capcom. I'm definitely right. I think their their most recent franchise is Dragon's Dogma, and that's ten years old. So it's like yeah. it's you. My point being, I hear what you're saying. I think all it would take is for Konami to come back and and like be dedicated to it and be like, we have a game coming out every year. That's we what have they've got games do. coming you, out you, every other year for the next ten years. You can't come at it and be half-assed, which I no. feel like is is where I could have seen them going until these announcements of two two brand new studios. Um, it felt like they were just willing to sub out their IP to, to anyone that wanted to work on it. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing, right? Is like they they are a really, really like they're a multinational company and a multi uh, genre company, right? Like they they sell so many things between games and trading cards, and you know they produce animes and they make slot machines and they make arcade cabs and they have casinos and they have fitness clubs and it's like yeah, but that's no different to like Sega, right? Sega Sammy, that's a similar deal with them. Like they have the resorts and the and the arcades and the slot machines and all. But even that, that they got, they moved out of that. They moved out of arcades, right? Like they've been mm. they're simplifying, you know. And I think even that owning arcades and everything is more akin to the video game business than yeah. We also own fitness clubs. We also own casinos right like that's different like that's a totally different industry you know you i think right sega sammy do still own um own like slot machines it's under the sammy brand rather than the sega okay brand, yeah I, I together know they, they owned, do still own casinos i know they owned several arcades in tokyo and i know they shut a couple of them down during 
the uh yeah say sega did but sammy is still working on like slot machines gotcha. and okay machines and things like that so makes sense they do still have stuff and they've got like a bunch of you know toy companies like play heart and things like that sure sure um and they do still own they own golf courses apparently so they really they, that's an interesting yeah. one sega golf course huh yeah again that's um, under the sammy brand paradise sega okay. sammy that's like not Sa- quite Sa- sega thing. sammy golf yeah, yeah. It's like not quite the same thing um, but even, even so, you know, I, I think um, I think there's a really good opportunity here for for Konami to flip the script. And I I don't know that they will, but I think that if they're really committed to this and like they want to get back in and they want to prove themselves as one of the big dogs again, they have resources, they have IP like. They don't even need to be one of the big dogs, I don't think. And I kind of I, I kind of hope they come out as like a a double a developer and we get back to that kind of return to what it was back in the 2010s where it's like we don't know not every single game needs to be mammoth in size mammoth in cost and mammoth in development time and we can take yeah. some more risks and do some double a stuff all the double a studios got snapped up you know you think of like the obsidians of the world they all got they all got bought acquired. yeah there's not too many of them left at this point you know yeah. that's the thing though is i don't think konami is interested in that because like of the kind of company that they're so big i mean they're like, working with bluebo who's kind of almost yeah. at that level yeah they're an indie studio at the moment but it's like they're getting to the point where they're just they're working on double a titles like the yeah medium. i don't know because it's interesting because you say that and i think you're right but also in the same breath i look at that as more of ip management of wanting to bring their ips back and get them in front of people and start like making people think and care about silent hill again so they can be like here's a silent hill movie here's a silent hill anime you're you know like so they can continue to monetize their ip in bigger and more ways because i think that's ultimately their goal it's not like we want to get back into the video game industry for the artistry of it it's like no we own all these really valuable ip that are not making us enough money you know while we have these other sectors that are potentially you know mm-hmm. going to be impacted by an economic downturn you know, people have less spare money to throw around um, for leisure or for, you know, like health, you know, uh, products and stuff like that. So we shall yeah. see, though. Fingers Definitely, crossed. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of Konami's game, so I want to see them succeed. It's always nice to see more players in the industry. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like you said, right, for some of them, like, I don't know that I'm not a fan of them because I couldn't be as much as just like they're a little before my time. And like, yeah. I'd be willing to try. I'd be willing to play a Metal Gear Solid uh, remake and see if it's, you know, if, if I can I, get in the, on it. The only Metal Gear Solid game, because I thought about it after I said it, the only Metal Gear Solid game I really got into was the PSP one with the cards. And oh, I was hold like, on, I hold on, was... hold on, hold on. I know what it's called. <laughs> oh, it was, uh... I think it's Tactics, isn't it? Oh, oh, maybe I'm thinking of a different game then. Because I'm, I'm thinking of, it's the one you play as... Big acid. boss. Metal Gear Acid. Okay, that's not the one I was thinking. What's the other one? Go, keep going. You talk about it. I loved Metal Gear Acid. You like picked up these cards and then you played them and then you like walked around on a grid. It was so good. Peace Walker. Peace Walker is the game I was thinking of. Yeah, those tiles were those tiles were good on the PS. PSP had an absolute mega collection of games, and it's a real shame that hardly any of them are on PS Plus yet. Where's Metal Gear Acid? Pop that on PS Plus, and I'll probably subscribe and play that one. Do it up. Speaking of subscribing, you can head over to Patreon and subscribe to this podcast, just like our Patreon producer for the month of April. 
did. They are, of course, Arnold J. Rimmer, Christopher Valenz, Earth Visitor, Gabriel Hasselmeyer, a.k.a. Sobe, Snack Go, Ty the Dude, and Wakahula. Thank you all so much for your support over on Patreon.com slash Games. You're all the reals to the real, and we greatly appreciate your support of this and all of our sister shows. Speaking of which, if you want to find links to become a Patreon producer or get a bunch of other good perks and goodies like getting the show early and all that kind of cool stuff, um, or you want to check out one of our sister shows, or you want to go right into the show for the question block segment, or you want to go join our Discord and keep the conversation rolling between episodes, whatever you want to do, head over to flipscreen.games. That's our website, flipscreen.games. You can find links to all the places we are all over the web and all the ways that you can get involved in this fine program however you choose to show your support or get involved we thank you for tuning into this week's show so sources are saying that if the psvr2 is going to survive it will need a price cut to avoid a complete disaster what a headline what a headline yeah i'm sure sony loved seeing that one from idc this week didn't they yeah, so if you're not familiar, IDC is a market research firm that follows the games industry. Uh, they have thrown out a report where they talked a bit about Sony's PSVR 2 headset, uh, where it is underperforming, I think, surprising no one. Um, in its first few uh, weeks of release, or I'm sorry, in the first few months of release, Sony is now expecting to sell around 270,000 units, um, which is not great. Um, we don't have any official word from Sony on, on where they're, what the numbers are at, but this is based on, I'll ever tell you, no, not, not if it's performing the way that we think. Right. Um, but these, this is from IDC's data and it's usually one you can take to the bank. Uh, their VP of data and analytics, Francisco, uh, Geronimo is how I'm going to say that Geronimo, maybe, I don't know. Either way, Francisco, I apologize. It's Francisco is what I'm going to call you for the rest of this. Uh, Francisco said in a uh, interview with Bloomberg, consumers around the world are facing rising costs of living, rising interest rates, and rising layoffs. VR headsets are not top of mind for most consumers under the current economic climate. I suspect a price cut on the PSVR 2 will be needed to avoid a complete disaster of their new product. And the reason that this number, I think, is important contextually, right, is that Sony's uh, reportedly, anyway, Sony's goal is to sell 1.5 million units by March of next year. And that was already a reduced um, forecast, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago where I think initially the number was 2 million. And then they they reduced yes. that because they were yeah. concerned that they wouldn't hit that, that target. So here now seeing 270 units um, by the end of March, which is as of this recording now, uh, that's not great. You know, the it's idea what, that they're going to hit two, that goal is... Two full months they've had with that came out in February, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what numbers they were looking for, right? Two, two, uh, 1.5 million is probably around a 10% um, attachment rate for the PlayStation 5 by that point. They've sold 10 million at this point. Safe to presume they'll sell 15 or 20 million by next year. If they continue to make them, people seem to want to buy them, especially with the rumor of a revised mid-gen refresh, which I think is probably just a slim model. Um, it was an ambitious target, I think. 10% is a high attachment rate for a, such an expensive product, and a product that costs more than 
the PS5, uh, and then you need to buy games on top of that. And the titles aren't there. Like maybe this would have sold better at launch if there was more than one, like system-selling title. I feel like Horizon, the Horizon game was really Call of the Mountain was really the only title there at launch that compelled people to to pick it up. Maybe when Resident Evil Village VR comes, or if Resident Evil Four gets a VR version. I know there's a VR version of the original. Uh, maybe they can do the same magic with the remake. Um, then perhaps. They can kind I just, of claw back some of that, but I, I just, just don't think it's going to be enough. Me like, neither. You, you mentioned it, right? And it's like no, like no shade to um, I believe it's Fire Sprite is the studio that made Call the Mountain, and yeah. you know, despite the fact that Call the Mountain definitely got some you know some good buzz, I don't think it's the system seller that they need it to be. Um, I've heard multiple reviews from people who are like, it's a great game and it was fun and it's great to shoot but a bow no and arrow or whatever. Fun. But it's not a system seller. It's not, yeah, it's not like a Half-Life Alex type experience or whatever. And like, frankly, I think we overestimate the importance of Half-Life Alex because like, again, like, did that really make Valve's headset this major success? Or was it, oh, this is a blip on the map. And then what else came to it that made people buy it, right? Like, what other big exclusive PSVR 2 games are on the horizon? Because to my knowledge, it's none, right? Like, we know that there are things in development, but like, how many of them are nothing's been these insane proprietary first party exclusive things that you can only play here and you can't play them on any of the other dozens of headsets that work on PC or, or other competing platforms? Like, yeah, PSVR 2 has a unique um, value prop in being the only console based VR headset. But does that even matter anymore? Like, is that a thing people care about? Because I think at this point, it's like. I know for me, like, I'm done with VR. Like, I think VR is, like, a failed experiment, largely. And I'm not at all interested in investing a couple hundred dollars in a new headset, um, especially with things the way they are financially, right? Like, I just don't see it. Like, wouldn't you rather buy, like, eight games? Honestly, I would rather buy something like a Steam Deck where I know that I can play my games portably and maybe already have a collection of PC games that I want to tap into. I can get new games every single month for free from the Epic Games Store and I can check out the Steam Deck podcast every uh, Friday here on Flip Screen Games. <laughs> but I we'll feel like that's a much better investment for a lot of people than buying a buying a headset. So. Or maybe even picking if you've got a PlayStation, picking up an Xbox. You know, you can yeah. pick up a Series S super cheap these days. Everyone seems to be doing a deal. There's always seems to be a deal on that console that you can always pick up, or you can pick up you super cheap. Subscribe to Game Pass. Tap into that library that you've probably never played before. Much better use of your money. Played on PlayStation. Yeah, yeah far better use of your money than than a a headset that's underperformed, doesn't have the software to match the cutting edge hardware. The hardware seemingly is phenomenal, right? Every single review, every single person I've spoken to that's used it. It's it's just it blows every other headset out of the water. The high resolution screens, the haptics on the um the headset, the eye tracking, all of that stuff is is great. We finally got good controllers with it as well. But the software's just not there. And we spoke about this when it launched. And we even we even had um a a possible prediction on our predictions episode. I think me and you both decided not to go for it because we weren't sure how we were going to track 
whether the the PSVR whether or not it was yeah a like it was going to underperform or yeah. not or whatever and we're like how do you define that but we both were ready to predict it because it seemed obvious and I mean here's the thing right like to them hit that hitting that 1.5 million number I just did some quick napkin math it's not gonna happen dude like here's where we're at based on what they've already sold they would need to sell 1,230,000 units in the next year to hit that goal. That means that per quarter, they need to move 307,500 units of PSVR, which means maybe they they do around Christmas. They do a bundle with on like Black Friday or something. Like, I don't know. Even so, though, dude, it's like, how many are you going to sell? Right. You think you're going to sell over 300K per quarter between now and a year from now when you didn't even hit that figure in the first two months that it was on the market and it was like the hot new thing. Like, there's no way. What in, yeah. where, what is going to drum up interest that isn't a price cut, which makes it a, a failure, right? Because like then they're selling it at a loss and admitting that it's a, an L. And unless they really invest time and money and effort into being like, this is this is floundering. We need to write the ship. We need to get some exclusive games and shell out money for them. We need to get some of our first party studios to make to VR games. They're not going to do that. You, you lose so much good faith from your customers, from your loyal fans who bought into this product that you promised to support if you just drop it. And I feel like unless they do the price cut, unless they give it the support it needs, they're going to have, they're going to kind of be forced to drop the thing. And I think when you take into consideration, we've got a new quest headset around the corner from, from meta. And that has like a phenomenal library of games. It's, it's an easy entry to VR doesn't require having a PS five already. You can just pop the thing on your face and on away you go. And presumably it's going to have much better fidelity. I can imagine we're probably going to lose the Fresnel lenses in favor of pancake lenses, which would be great. And there's the rumored Deckard headset from Valve. And if that gets announced this year, I kind of think the PSVR is toast because the people that were potentially thinking about getting a PSVR, PSVR um, 2 why would you not just pick up one of the other games, uh, one of the other headsets, play the same games apart from Horizon Call of the Mountain? Because all the other games aren't exclusive to the PlayStation. Right, exactly. And I mean, also, like, I don't know. Did those even come out? Like, does Valve oh, the, put the out? The Quest one, I kind of feel, is is a guarantee. I agree um, with that, because that's their whole pr- business. But, like, does Valve need to put out another VR headset? I don't know that they do. Maybe they not, might. but I do think that is the companion product to the Steam Deck, but their focus is very much on the Steam Deck at the moment. I think maybe they double down on that. I think that makes more sense. And I mean, when, with the thing you said about Sony with like abandoning it, they absolutely will. They did it with the Vita. And, and like, not to mention, I think you can look at literally every one of the major platform holders, like anyone who makes hardware. Every single one of them has released a piece of hardware, had a bunch of their loyal fans spend a ton of money on it, abandon it, and, and suffer no consequences. Nintendo's done it multiple times, right? Yeah. Between between the uh, they Virtual did it with Boy. consoles, though, right? Not with not with accessories to consoles. Yeah, but I mean, I would argue this is a platform. I'd say it's 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 an accessory, but I think I think Sony thinks of PSVR as a platform. Yeah, um, you're probably right. And again, right? Like we had the Virtual Boy that got a bit. We had the Wii U with with Xbox. We had the Connect, right? Like it happens, like. It happens. Oh, the connect, and the Connect was the best-selling thing, best-selling video game accessory of all time. And they still, and they, they still sold so many of those. Yeah, they dropped it, but they did support that into the next generation. I feel like if they sure. drop this mid-gen, it's just like. I think if they do it, they're admitting they're done with VR. I think that's what that's what happens. I think either yeah. 
they quietly continue to support it until it, you know, peters off, right? Like they did with the Vita or they cut the price. They, they cut their losses and they more or less admit that they're done with VR. But I think either I, way, they're I probably don't done know with that VR. they can. I think well, the problem they had was they got, they, they probably started this product right at the height of the metaverse, uh, you know, bullshit that was going on that, there for a right? Coming, right? But you, you think about it, it could have even no, been but way I mean, before that I mean coming the off new of the one. PSVR, right? I, Which I, mean was the, I mean the new VR too. Like they, they, they probably started development then around the launch of the Quest 2 would be my guess. And they're like, okay, we want something to compete with Facebook. We want to get back into VR. We want to claw back us being the number one headset and not the Quest 2 anymore. And uh, I just think at that time, it was a different financial situation. They probably didn't know how much this thing was going to cost to make. And they just put too much tech into it. They priced themselves out of the market. And then they didn't invest in video in software for it soon enough. And they got left with a product that they had to launch because they need to claw back some of that R&D money. And yeah. and it's just it's too it was too far down the line to cancel. I kind yeah, of feel that's I think, what I happened think that's exactly like, what happened. Kind of I, what happened I think... with the Dreamcast when you think about it. It's like they had a plan B and a backup. They were ready to go on Xbox within like six months. Yeah. But I think you're right. Like, I think that's exactly what happened. I think they started development on this uh, while PSVR was successful and while it was their their number one game in town. And and again, you think about back around the time PSVR was released. I remember um, uh, Shuhei Yoshida, who's uh, currently their like indie you know, the face of if indie stuff at PlayStation. But he was the president of SIE Studios for a really long time. And I remember him talking about PSVR and then being like, well, like, you know, we look at the metrics for success for PSVR as being different. We look at launching PSVR as being the same as when we launched the PlayStation back in 1994 and um, or 95, whatever it was. And um, that like we look at this as an investment and we are going to lose money on it. And it is going to be this thing that's niche at first. But we're going to prove our investment in VR and VR is a future tech that we believe in. And that's the thing is, I think they did with psvr but i think the 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 no way they made their money back on that thing i don't think maybe not but that's the thing is i think they looked at it as an investment and they looked at it as a success because they were like this is us laying the bedrock and we had the most popular system we established ourselves as the only console manufacturer who's in the vr space i think they probably did look at that as a success and they're like great let's follow that up we'll be bullish we'll make something bigger and better and more expensive and cutting and you know, cutting edge and all this stuff. And while they were working on it, the market changed. And I think interest in VR has dwindled because a, I don't think it was as exciting or uh, revolutionary as most gamers thought it was going to be. It's prohibitively expensive. And I think that because I actually think if the, if the experience was compelling enough, the expense wouldn't matter. I feel like games. Well, that's what I was, you, you cut me off before my last bullet there, which is, I don't think the games have, 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 been worthwhile yeah. but i i do feel like if the experience was there gamers will pay for it you know we were yeah. we were quick to jump on ps5 and series x when it came out the games weren't or necessarily there but yeah but the games weren't necessarily there on the new on the new gen consoles i still feel like we're waiting for the kind of true next gen to begin we still haven't got really a, a proper unreal 5 game on on consoles we've got fortnite running on unreal 5 but we haven't really got anything else and yeah, we were so quick to jump on it because they delivered the promise on the previous products and the other things that they, the products were offering 
improved load time, quick resume over on the Xbox side of things, the power of like SSD making it games and experiences that we can't get on yeah. last gen consoles and improved graphical fidelity was all really compelling. And the controller, right? Over on the PlayStation side of sure. things, that was a real, real seller as well. But That's I just thing. don't think there it's was like, there was any of that for PSVR 2. It's just like, oh, we've got Horizon Call of the Mountain, but why could I not play that on my old headset just with a lower fidelity and you give me new controllers, right? I, I yeah, feel like well, there's, it's it's hard for people to to understand, I think, the reason to upgrade and the reason to invest in something that costs $500. I mean, I think that's the thing is for most people, the, the motivating factor is software. It's experiences you can't have other places, right? Like as nice as um, features like better load times or even game pass and things like that. Like a lot of those things are not as big a deciding factor for people who are more casual, you know? And I think when it comes to VR, I don't see why anyone would buy one unless they're an enthusiast. And um, I think the, the fact that like so many of the gen one uh, developers, right. That worked on VR titles. It kind of feels like it goes one of two ways at this point, right? You either make VR titles long enough uh, to get acquired by meta and keep making them, or you move on because they're not profitable. And if you want to secure the future of your studio as a studio that can continue to make games and keep people employed, it doesn't make any financial sense to work on a VR title. It just doesn't. And as long as that's the case, VR games are not going to get better because if the most that studios can do is get like one at bat and then they're like, cool, that's all we can afford to do then that's it. Like, we're not going to get better, cooler, more high-quality VR experiences because you need talent that works on four, five, ten VR games, not one or two. And how many people are there that even have that level of experience? Because There are some studios out there. One comes to my Shell Games, who worked on um, Among Us VR, um, the I Expect You to Die series, and a bunch of other titles. They've got a lot of experience in VR. They did um, some some ports of other games as well. Yeah, but that's one. You know, it's like, how, yeah. and again, I'm not, I'm not saying these studios don't exist, but how many are there? Five? Ten? Right? Whereas, like, for AAA games, for indie games, there's hundreds. There's thousands. Right? Yeah. There's, there's yeah, developers I mean, there's like that you'll never even, even hear of. That there's dozens even internally at PlayStation. So it's like, uh, if they've got Fire Sprite and that's the only studio that, that that's really dedicated to VR and working on games, and then you've just got other studios assisting them, I don't know. It's strange. There, there's some weird decisions being made over on the PlayStation side of things, and I, I, I really, I still don't truly understand what happened. I think with the last I think it's because it's like crazy. They're a company in flux, you know. Like I think a lot of these decisions were made by a different PlayStation and. You know, we're just seeing them play out. Like, I don't think they wanted to put out PSVR 2. I do think it was a, all right, we got to recoup some of the costs on this thing and we'll see what happens, right? But, like, the plans, the support don't seem to be there. And, well, there's two different arms of a company, right? There's the hardware side of things, Sony making the actual hardware and, and, and kind of pumping it out. And then there's PlayStation uh, doing the software side of things and actually branding the consoles and selling it. But, but I would imagine the consumer electronics side of Sony needs to make some money and so wants to actually uh, manufacture something. 
along other than the PlayStation and some TVs. I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's just it's it, disaster. It's a tough it's situation. Just, if, if this and the the absolute horrendous Last of Us PC port, I just don't understand what's going on. I really don't. And some of like Jim Ryan's comments, I just. I don't know. He's like one or two more bad decisions away from not having a job. I honestly am (laughs) genuinely surprised he's still there. I I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year he's there's plans for him to be replaced. Yeah, but we shall see. We do have a couple questions in the question block, so let's let's jump into them. Uh, We got a patented three question formula here from one Asobi, one of our Patreon producers who wrote in and said, number one, what has been your favorite video game soundtrack in recent years? Like the last five years is the, uh, the, the, the limit that's been given to us here. Favorite video game soundtrack in the last five-ish years. How ish are we, how ish are we c- can like... Can we be as ish as the, uh, the Cuphead release on, on Switch? Does that count? No, 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 no. No, we're not doing that. No re-releases of games, you little punk ass. You got to come up with a game that's new-ish. Hmm. Oh, all right, you go, because I'm, I'm stumped on this one. I would say the first answer that immediately came to mind for me was Deltarune. Um, Episode one came out exactly five years ago in 2018. Okay, that counts because I do listen to Toby Fox's music, but I mainly listen to un- the Undertale soundtrack because that thing's just yeah. Phenomenal. And I mean, that's the thing: the Undertale soundtrack I would say doesn't count, but the Delta Rune soundtrack has just as many fucking slappers. So I'm I'm good with yeah. that. I also feel like yeah, Persona Five is in that range. No, isn't it? absolutely. Oh, no, that's like 10 years old. That game is so much older than I thought. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, that game's really old. It, it came out seven on the PS3. Yeah. Yeah, okay. 2016, so never mind. I guess Royal came out in like 2018, right? Yeah, maybe you can do Royal. 2020. But I still feel like that's cheating. No, that's cheating. That's bullshit. You can't yeah. be doing that. Yeah, it came uh, out in 2019. Okay, so that would count. That's why I'm thinking it's yeah. more recent. When was Stardew Valley? Does, can I have that one? That's no, I think that's well, 2016, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. what year? What year for games? I feel like the I feel like Diablo Four is is prepping up to have a really great soundtrack from from the the beta. The problem I have with that game is I I basically turned it all the way down because I was playing it while I was watching watching uh, binge watching House. So it's like <laughs> I've got I've got House being a dick in the background while I'm um, slashing slashing skeletons and carvers. So that might be one I have to listen to on its own. And not really experience through the game, which is rare for me. I don't usually play games without the sound. Um, I feel like Crypt of the Necrodancer, the Hyrule. Oh, what was that, that one was called? Phenomenal, yeah. That's got the a Hyrule. great soundtrack. Yeah. That was so yeah, good. That's you know, really the Last good of Us Part One is really good as well. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, a new game. Technically, a new. That's game. That's what they kept sure. telling me. It was a whole new game. It's not a remaster. It's brand new, fresh. <laughs> Um, I I would also think um, and this this one's a this one's more borderline, but I both uh, Breath of the Wild and um, and Super Mario Odyssey both have really good soundtracks as well for like more recent. You know, I could have Cuphead, the delicious last course, because that only came out last year. Yeah, that has new tracks in it. So. And do you know what? 
Road 96, the DLC, has a, a new song by my favorite band, The Midnight. So uh, that's not, that's going to go there as well. That's good. And it was written ex- specifically for that game. So Okay. Uh, what about I, something like Guardians of the Galaxy with licensed music rather than a soundtrack? Yeah, that, that was pretty good. You know, it's like... I feel like licensed music, it, it like it sometimes it hits really hard, but like I'm thinking back on that and I remember it had songs in it that were good, but I'm like, I don't even remember what songs there mm. were. So even though music was like a, a key part of it, like that's not really what stood out to me so much. You know, The Last of Us Part Two only came out in 2020 and that had phenomenal music, but I do feel like it was an extension of The Last of Us Part One. Uh, what about Ghost of Tsushima? Did that have any? Yeah, any, that does have a good. good that does have a good. I was just about to say that that has a good soundtrack as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I would give it to The Last of Us though. Like the main Last of Us theme is really good, and I think the oh, new work so that, that Bear did and two was like there's some good good stuff in there as well. God of War is one that comes to mind for me too. That that has a really good soundtrack. Um, I want. How far back is 2018? As far back as we can go. Isn't That's it? as far back as we can go. Yeah, Mario Odyssey. I listened to yeah, that music I I so much. That was so good. Like I, Come that was on one of the first. Up, super was, star. Why not even that song? Like uh, Tostarina Falls or whatever it's called. Oh my god, I loved that. Whenever you like pop in and it's like you're in with all the iron around you and it's like that. Yeah. Little bass guitar riff comes in. Oh my god, it's so good. Oh my god, I totally forgot this game counted. Celeste. Celeste mm. has an incredible soundtrack. Lena Rain, are you kidding me? Like Jesus, Celeste is incredible. That is one of the best soundtracks. In that's any probably game. the that's probably the best. That's probably the best answer is is Celeste then of the last five years. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, fucking come on, that is <laughs> like what an incredible soundtrack that game has. Yeah, yeah. Okay, shout out, chat. Some good ones on this list. Some really good ones. Number two, are there any game genres and or franchises that you really that you really want to get into but couldn't get into yet? Which ones and what makes you want to get into it and why couldn't you so far? Okay. This is uh, you this is a... this is tough for me cuz like I've got specific games but not necessarily like genres, like I guess. Genres. I feel like the genres I wanted to get into in the last couple of years I I really did. Like I got into Souls games last year. I got into Metroidvania games the year prior. Those were kind of the two big genres I wasn't I wasn't really playing. I struggled with JRPGs for a long time, but Persona kind of got me um, to come over. Do not give yourself that. You quit playing Persona. I did, but I played it to like seventy plus hours, and I have played other JRPGs since, Does but not to the to that extent. <laughs> I I kind of. I guess there are titles that we spoke about at the top of the show as well, like most of Konami's games I've never touched. I'd like to go back and try them, but it's not like I've I've tried to get into them, but right. couldn't get into them. I think for me, it's uh, the easy answer is Resident Evil and like more broadly horror games. Um, yeah, and and Hitman because you still haven't played it. Sure, sure. That's that's a franchise that counts. I would say. Um, but that one, it says that you couldn't get into it. And I haven't played that yet. So I wouldn't, I think that's, I'm sure I'll like that as soon as I try it. Whereas like with Resident Evil, I've tried multiple times with multiple different games. And even though I like them, uh, I hit a point eventually where I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. Like this is stressful. And oh yeah, that's not what I want out of a game, right? Like I, 
I get that that uh you first got that feeling with Elden Ring as well, I think. Like you just were not yeah. having fun. You're getting frustrated. I tried to get into that and really wanted to. That's another one where it's just like I just don't like this. I don't think this is good. And yeah, that's me and Pokemon then. Because like that as a franchise yeah, is you've like tried one that one a million times. Tried it so many times and I just it just does not click with me. Yeah. And I really wish it did. You know, because it's just it's it's so huge and there's so much to play in that game. And I just don't could never ever get into that into those games. And yeah. I don't know why. See, it's like to answer the second part of it of like the why of it for the two I gave. I mean, for horror games, it's it's totally just an enjoyment thing is like I enjoy them in very, very small bursts. I think they're fun, like with a group and like everyone's getting scared and this is fun and whatever. Like, that's fun. But I don't want to sit and play a horror game by myself. And like, that's the primary way I like to play games is to sit and unwind and engage with it. And like... Uh it's just yeah. not fun for me. You know, like it, it's too stressful and like it ends up feeling just like a But chore. you were okay with The Last of Us? Yeah, cuz I think The Last of Us to me like doesn't feel like a horror game in the same way. Like it is in terms of the like there's a survival element and you're, you know, you're running out of resources and you got to do this and you got to do that. But like it's still also an action game when you kill a clicker, they go down and they're gone, right? And it's like I like that sense of like modern Resident oh, Evil games are like that since yeah, but they're not though because like I played Resident Evil 7 and it's like no like this isn't fun I don't want to be like sneaking around a house being chased by guys who are invincible and as soon as they catch me I'm dead like that's not you should fun. play village have a giant woman or a big baby following you that's even scarier but um I I, I wonder if you'd like Resident Evil 4 because that is baby. no genuinely it's a giant it's an baby. you game. should you should watch like resident evil village with the giant baby it's horrific absolutely horrific <laughs> i bet it is I, I believe that um and then yeah and then for like the soul stuff it's just i just don't like the way those games are designed at all and i know that that's a a very controversial opinion um but that's how i feel you know, God, uh, I game. I loved Elden Ring so much. I really want to finish it. I want to go and play Sekiro and like Dark Souls and Demon Souls. I really want to get into them. I'm Bloodborne. Oh. Please just bring Bloodborne to PC already, but actually do a good job with it. All right, last question from Asobi. Number three, what is the most influential video game of all time and why? I would say let's exclude Pong and games from that era since the first game is the most influential is a boring answer. Oh, okay. Well, then I I, I was going to say, maybe this doesn't count, Tetris. Uh, and I we spoke about this before that I think that is probably the greatest video game of all time. And uh, we just had the movie come out, Tetris the movie. I'm looking forward to watching that this weekend. Um, Maybe I'll talk about that next week. Uh, but I, I do think that was so influential in, in video games um, in many, re- many like aspects of it, right? In development, in puzzles, in, in bringing more people to the genre just because it was a fun game and also licensing and figuring out mm-hmm. who actually owns this game and how do, we, how do we license these games and make money from them and, and, and publish them and just all sorts of of things but i do there's there's tons of them right every genre has a game that's influenced it every single one yeah like to say like the most is like such a tough thing because it's like every game you know um is going to influence others in its genre and other things like to, to varying degrees so i think like trying to answer this question holistically um gets pretty interesting i had two answers that came to mind for me um 
and and both of them have a more modern counterpart. So I think for my money, the answers are Super Mario Brothers and the and the Legend of Zelda. And I think you can extend that to Super Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time. Well, I um, I actually think probably Doom is more influential than than Super Mario 64 if you're talking about like exploring 3D space and, and I don't I don't know. I don't know that I agree because I I don't think like Doom is like the first game of that ilk in terms of like or at least the first, you know, popular widely played, right? Like it's certainly very influential in that way. Um but like it's more linear in terms of like it's more of like a corridor kind of shooter, like something like a Mass Effect or something like that, where it's like it's pretty linear in terms of you go here and you go here and you shoot this guy and you shoot that guy. Whereas like Super Mario 64 is the is like is I think not the first actual open world game, but it's probably the first in terms of like how we think of open world games now. Because, like, again, that's why I brought The Legend of Zelda. Like, The Legend of Zelda is an incredibly influential game, right? Like, it was the first game, I believe, the first Nintendo game that had a save feature. Maybe mm-hmm. even the first game that had a save feature. Uh, no, um, PC games had saves before. But it was it might have been the console first console game. game. Yeah. Um, so there's that, right? Uh, it was one of the first, like, adventure games on console that, like, and again, right, obviously there's text adventure games that come before that, things like that. Um, but this is different, right? Like it being a, this is a open, open world that you can explore at your own pace and discover things at your own leisure and there's secrets to uncover and there's side things that you can do or you could never see them and, you know, but you don't need to and you could beat the game with just the weapons they give you in the beginning or you can do every single thing and you can skip stuff and like those are all things that to this day, right? Like you draw a line between The Legend of Zelda and you know, Ghost of Tsushima, right? Or whatever, right? Like, it's, yeah, like, so many of those things trace their lineage back to The Legend of Zelda. And I think that extends beyond its genre, right? Whereas, like, there's some of these other games where, like, like, Tetris, right? Like, is an extremely influential game, but it's, like, is the influence of Tetris felt in The Last of Us? Like, probably not, right? But, like, a lot of other things are, you know? And, like, I look at Super Mario Brothers, like, there's so many things in terms of just like like game design and how much people talk about like how World One One teaches you how to play like the rest of the game oh, yeah, in the first phenomenal. frame. Like yeah. that's an incredibly influential design, right? And it's like there's things about it that you might not look to one to one and be like, oh, here's how Mario influenced this other thing. But like, I don't know. I, I think I think it's really hard to ignore the influence of those games and and like how much they changed the game and how much so many other games ape what you, they did. Uh, yeah. I kind it's of feel it's a big reason why we look good. at Miyamoto as like the godfather of video games. It's like mm-hmm. he was an extremely influential influential creator, you know, and, and designer. I'm just looking to see when Metroid came out as well, because that came out the same year as Zelda. And I do think that that has a lot of influence in video games as well. The exploration, sure. the side quests, the picking things up and getting new skills and exploring like, oh, I can access new areas because I've got new skills now. That's a pretty common trope in, in video games. Even newer games, right? You think about... You look at something like Breath of the Wild. That itself inspired other games. You, you, know, you can see the, the glider and Horizon. But it was also inspired by other games. 
And you can see that by looking at the towers and from Far Cry, like the radio towers, and it shows like new areas on the map. And you can see influence in Horizon for Forbidden West from the new Tomb Raider games and the focus on arrows and crafting and things like that. So every game does influence every other game. And I think that's the best way with, sure. with all mediums of art. But it's very difficult to say this one game influenced everything unless it is the first one unless it is pong because that did like spawn an entire industry and it was just like yeah. oh, this is very exciting that's why i think it's more it is probably more generally not only interesting but like i think it's probably more like intellectually honest to look at a game from like the nintendo era or the super nintendo era like that time period is where i really think like modern video games coalesced in that time and like so many of the games that we still think of as being like friend you know uh the key marquee franchises right three of the ones we just like it's insane to think that super mario brothers the legend of zelda and metroid all came out within like 18 months of each other is that yeah. insane yeah i mean i also think um if you're thinking about influence not on other video games but on the the kind of general pop culture i think you have to look at something like um mario or pokemon as well like pokemon was fucking massive it spawned like an anime and a, a trading card game and plushies like and literally everyone movies. in the yeah and everyone on the planet knows pikachu so it's uh, and everyone on the planet knows mario so kind of i feel like um if you're looking at influence outside of video games nintendo is probably the the one to look at like they've got um a bit of a, a hold on that I think they've had the biggest cultural footprint of any video game company by a very wide margin, and it's not even remotely close. <laughs> yeah. I, I, even now, I think about Sony's characters, and even my brain still goes to Crash Bandicoot, even though it's not been them, them for, a, for a very long time. I guess their mascots are like Kratos. That I'd say was it's Kratos Drake more than anybody. Right? Because yeah. like Kratos has been a consistent mascot since PS2. Right, God of War was one of the mm -hmm. defining. It was the last game, but it was one of the defining games on the PS2. It was healthy throughout the PS3 generation, and then we had the reboot. I mean, Ratchet and Clank was as well. Yeah, it's not as popular. You know, like yeah. God of War is like a bona fide block. Like that sells like a multi-platform game, even though it's exclusive. You know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, I, I think I I feel like by default you give it to Kratos at this point. If if you had to ask me to like pick one. You know, as I feel like he's like the most consistent. I, I, I kind of feel like character. It, I kind of feel at the moment, um, Sony's kind of thinking Joel and Ellie as a combo are, are really the the sure. the one, and I think that that's the influence on on TV and them finally having a successful adaptation. Yeah, breaking out beyond the uh, the kind of initial mm -hmm. sphere of of gamers. All right, so last question, we're going to close it out on today. This one comes from that guy, one of our Patreon producers, who said, with the so-called death of E3, what do you think will happen in the future? Will we get anything similar again? No. I, yeah, I think it depends on how similar you're talking about. Do, do, will we get something that is a proper replacement for E3? No, I don't think so. I think the reason E3 existed in the first place, right, was because the major console manufacturers wanted a trade show event where they could... Uh, communicate with press and talk about new products that they had coming up and get people excited for them and, and all that stuff, right? Um, Not even just press. It was like, oh, people from Electronics Boutique are here and we're going to sell them the games. Yeah, and well, that's look true. And see. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah game, GameStop employees and stuff like that would, would come. 
uh, and check stuff out and report back. And like store managers would make orders based on what they had seen. And like that was the purpose of the show was as a trade show. Right. And it evolved into this, you know, major event television type, you know, uh, production. And, you know, I think for a long time, it was one of those things where it was too big to fail and it was just ubiquitous. And of course you were going to go. And of course you were going to spend money to have a booth and do all that stuff. And, you know, obviously the last couple of years have chipped away at that. Um, I think even prior to the pandemic, it was on the downturn, right? The ESA had had a lot of relationships with big publishers sour. Um, you know, they, they had that whole thing where they leaked everybody's information. Like, oh, I, I think, I think it was, it was on its way out because it, it was inherently a by a byproduct of a, uh, or I'm sorry, a product of a bygone era, right? Like, I think as cool and incredible as E3 was, and as much as I will miss it and miss the event that it was and like all the pomp and circumstance and the, this is what we're paying attention to for a week and who's going to win. And like, everybody's fighting for oxygen to be the best at the show. It doesn't make sense for them to do that, right? There's no, there's no benefit for publishers to play that game anymore. Um, they can do their own events and they cost less and they don't have to fight against other people. And yeah, like maybe less people will watch it or whatever, but like, it's also, you know, you're oh, spending so, so much like, less. If you've got the games, just look at the Tears of the Kingdom stuff, right? Millions of people watched it. They've been advertising it everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. People, people it is, will come it is and watch different, your presentation. Though. It's different with Nintendo, PlayStation, and Xbox, right? Like, I think they have a level of status and prestige that it, it, it isn't as easy for the other folks. I think if Ubisoft was like, we're, you know, like they're doing the Ubisoft Forward this year on its own. Like, it's, it's going to be part of Summer Games Fest now, I guess, technically. Is that going to get as much viewership as it did under E3 when people were already dialed in to be watching E3 and they're going to watch the one that came before and the one that comes after? And I don't know, right? Like, we'll see. But I maybe think, not. But I felt that I feel like a, the, a lot of the shift was going towards the the platform holders showing off everyone else's games anyway. You look at Xbox last year; they had absolutely tons of announcements, and yeah, PlayStation had their own event. They did show like what they showed like one thing at Jeff's thing. That was it. It was like we saw. Yeah, they didn't really the, have the an last event last year. Thing. Like they, they didn't do a real proper like I forget what they call it, but like the PlayStation presentation. Like they didn't really do one. Mm -hmm. um, that was like a true, you know, huge blowout like they historically had, right? Um, but that's the thing. Everyone is, that I, wasn't everyone that wasn't EA or Ubisoft was at someone else's. And I yeah. feel like that's probably gonna be the trend moving forward. I feel I I think the industry has become so um I guess condensed down to those three big platforms that it's it's kind of hard. For, for anyone else to do a presentation. I know Devolver still do, does that thing. But I kind of think like, that... They can do them. They just are not going to have the same cachet as being on the E3 stage or whatever. Like, there's, like, the Wholesome Direct. And, like, that has an audience that tunes in for it. But it's not It's mm -hmm. not doing, like, E3 numbers. But it's also, like, does it need to? You know, it's, like, I think that's the question. Really it's, like, do you need to hit the same numbers if you're not spending all this money to be there? And, like, at, you know, like, spending thousands of dollars to have a space on the show floor and all that stuff? It's, like... You know, I, do do I wish that there would be? Sure, but like I just don't think there's a space for it that makes sense anymore. And I think like Jeff Keighley Summer Game Fest is as natural a successor as we're gonna get because rather than it being everything condensed to like three days or you know a week and change, it's now the whole summer, and everybody can have their own event whenever they want. And 
you know, it, it is going to mean that like we won't have those same opportunities. Like we talked. Do you about think that's what it's going to be though? Because Summer Game Fest is down as just like being one week this week. It's like live from that's from the June thing. 8th like, it it like, isn't. They've though. got the events because it's like they have those events that they produce, but then they also have all these other events that they put on their calendar, right? And I think that's the thing with Summer Games Fest is that like there's like the the specific uh, events that are. Um, you know, that are hosted by Jeff and that are produced by Jeff, right? Like opening night and, and those things. Um, but then again, right. Like we just talked about the Ubisoft forward, right. Where like Ubisoft announced it. And then the summer game fest, Twitter was like, Oh, we're, we're hosting this too. And it's like, they're not though. Like Jeff isn't there. Jeff didn't produce the show, but it's on his website and it's on his calendar and it's part of the conversation. And I think that's going to be how it evolves more and more is going to be that like, yeah, in the summer, you still have these big presentations. You still have all this stuff, but it's just not going to be as condensed anymore. It's not going to be that mm-hmm. packaged focused like Sony's got theirs on uh, Xbox starts and then Sony closes it out. Right. Or whatever. Right. Like there was a cadence to these people go on these days. And this is what happens. Like you knew the E3 schedule pretty far in advance. Right. Whereas like every year for Summer Game Fest, I feel like we're like, what's going on? Like we're figuring it out as, as we go. Right. And like not every event has the same level of cachet. Like there was that one um, hardware event last year where they had like no announcements. It was like a total waste of time. And then there is like the cool stuff like day of the devs. And then there's the cool stuff like, you know, the, the, like the bigger stuff that you think of like the Xbox presentation. So it's like, I think, I think summer game fest is going to be what evolves to replace E3. But I also think that five, 10 years from now, it'll probably look like a totally different thing. Because, like, last year, they did have in-person kiosks where journalists and, and folks from the press or whatever could go and play games. And that play was things. kind of yeah, a more... Yeah, play date. Right. And, like, that is something where, like, that will feel like E3 to some degree. You know? And I think, is there a point where that becomes longer? Is there a point where Jeff eventually rents out, you know, a, a convention center and makes it more of a thing and lets, con- you know, consumers come? And, like, yeah, maybe. Like, he might, you know? But... I think well, I kind of I, I was kind of surprised when um, when Reed Pop teamed up with the ESA rather than teaming up with Jeff because obviously Jeff's got the 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 relationship with them from doing I the mean, games. There's bad blood stuff. there now. Is my thing is like I I my read on it is that I imagine that Jeff was looking at E3's performance in the last couple years before the pandemic where there had been, you know, Sony pulled out and there, you know, there's all the, all this controversy. Um, and was kind of like, look, like, I feel like the blood's in the water and we need to evolve with the times and we need to evolve what the show is and it needs to change. And it needs to, and the ESA mm-hmm. was probably like, no, that's, we don't want to do any of that. And we don't need you. You need us. E3 is the name. That's what people care about. Jeff Keeley is not important to E3's success is my, you know, and I don't know anything. Right, I don't, I don't know Jeff. I don't know shit. But that's uh, yeah, I get, I get the 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 relationship with the, the ESA and Jeff. I meant the relationship with Jeff and Reed Pop because he's he does the oh, why uh, would opening Reed Pop night go to Jeff? Yeah, gotcha. Because he does the he does the opening night live thing over at Gamescom, and that's uh, I believe pub- uh, published uh, put on by Reed Pop. Um, so I kind of presumed he would team up with them in some capacity, but I, I don't guess think he, needs them. he does. I guess he doesn't really need to because he's just doing a presentation at the YouTube, um, the YouTube theater on June eighth, and then I guess he just co-brands all of the other presentations, or yeah. at the very least, he kind of co-streams them over on the 
the YouTube channel and the Twitch channel and all of that stuff, so put some on his website. Well, that's the thing, though, right? It's like becomes the place to go, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think the idea of him like partnering with somebody else, it's like, well, maybe eventually if he has a space and he needs somebody to help him with that, but it's like to what end, right? Like it's like uh I think it made sense for Reed Pop to be like, oh yeah, we can revitalize E3. We can bring back the the brand of E3 because like we know how to run good live events and everything. And it was just like the water, the well was too poisoned. You know, it's like I just don't think people have interest in being like. And again, I, right, we, I been, actually think it's talking... probably a timeline thing. It's like, oh, you're putting this on at the same time as Summer Game Fest, and Jeff's already got us locked in for his presentation, and you've not really told us what you're doing anyway. We kind of presumed you were dead from last year, but you've come back. You're just like a zombie that won't go away. I, I feel like if they were just like, I mean, E3 the- is no longer in the summer, we're going to do E3 in autumn or spring or whatever, then maybe people would have had something to show. I mean, maybe, but but I also think that it's like, I don't know. I I, th- I think it can go a little bit deeper than that. Because like looking at, um, so there's actually a, a statement from the ESA uh, president and CEO, Stanley Pierre-Louis, uh, who was talking about why it got canceled. He did an, uh, an interview with uh, GameSpot. I'm sorry. It was with um, gamesindustry.biz. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, he said that first, several companies have reported that the timeline for game development has been altered since the start of the COVID pandemic. Second, economic headwinds have caused several companies to reassess how they invest in large marketing events. And third, companies are starting to experiment with how to find the right balance between in-person events and digital marketing opportunities. And that's the thing, right, is I think that's a big part of it is like, again, we we talked about the problem with PSVR 2. We talked about why Konami would want to get back in the game space. We are heading towards a really tumultuous economic time if a lot of, you know, uh, predictions hold true. And the idea that we have these companies, right? And we, we've been reporting on these the last couple of weeks. We've had a bunch of major companies like EA and and and, you know, um, others who are escaping my my uh, mind right now, but EA just had one where they've had a bunch of layoffs, right? While they're also being like, well, we're actually operating from a position of power. Like we're making money. We have projects in development that are going to be good, but we're doing this because there are uncertain economic times ahead and we want to make sure we can weather the storm. And you see a lot of these organizations doing that. And the idea that you have in Ubisoft or somebody like that, right? We just talked about Ubisoft and their financial struggles and woes a couple weeks ago, they really want to spend a couple thousand dollars to be at E3 if they don't even know if anyone's going to be there and if it's going to be as successful when they could be a part of Summer Game Fest. I or... also wonder, like, that all these people have anything to show? Like, that's the reason Nintendo gave that they weren't put on a summer presentation is because they've got Tears of the Kingdom and then they've got nothing else. Sony's kind of played their hand already they have psvr 2 and they've got spider-man maybe they want to show us what they've got next year but do they need well, to do we that talked at about E3? that they don't or want to do that right now because they're trying to convince governments that xbox is a legit threat to them they don't want to come out and be like here's the next five games we have in development and our stocks take a jump and then oh yeah they're not such a great argument for us anymore right like that was a crazy tinfoil hat rumor last year was that they had a full presentation that they were like ready to go with and they were like they shelved it because they were like well i'm kind of not i'm not buying that at this point because i feel like with the the as we said the disastrous launch of psvr2 i feel like they need to show something at this point and or are they playing 40 chess steve and they put out psvr2 and it's struggling and now they can be like look we're struggling 
Maybe Jim Ryan's just tanking the company so he gets his golden parachute and they have to buy him out of his contract. <laughs> He's just done with him. He doesn't want to quit. It's uh it's like that's a it's uh, it's a little conspiracy theory. I'm not going to lie to you, but it's also like not the most unheard of thing. So, who's to say? <laughs> I do want to put a pin in this. We're going a little long on the tooth today. Uh so I want to close it out with um the incredible news that Officially, I am winning our predictions for 2023, everybody. Back on episode 73 of the podcast, we gave our predictions for this year, the year of our Lord, 2023. And of course, your boy already on track for a third consecutive Embassy Trophy predictions win, everybody. We love it. We love Mm. to see it because, of course, my risky pick this year was that Summer Game Fest will have higher viewing figures than E3. And now that E3 is canceled, I win. I get those points. That's two points for me on the board. Well, I'm, uh, uh, we'll see because uh, Max does not agree with you that you should get the points in this. The, he thinks that I don't care be... what Max thinks. I told he Max in that, that episode that his, his opinions don't matter. It's the judge's opinions that yeah, matter. So, you, uh, so, so at the moment, I'm naming Zade the judge. He said I got the points on Discord. You don't. You don't have any points until the judge has ruled on that. But I have two points. We all know it. If you want, if you we want to accept know. that you've got two points, are the only two points you'll get? That's fine. Oh, those are the only two points I'll get. Okay, let's look at some of Steve's. Uh, how's that? How's that uh, apology from Game Freak coming along, Steve? How's that? How's that going? Well, you know, that's fine. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I should have just said Nintendo because they did issue an apology. How's uh How's that? That uh, that is, is Bungie announcing they're bringing back a game no one's heard of? Marathon is that? Oh, happening? they definitely will. They will. Yeah, sure, sure, they sure. Will. And a new Fallout game coming out too. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna make sense, right? Not like their next game that yeah. already told us is the Elder Scrolls. So all of your all of your acquisitions are doing great. Square, Ubisoft, and Microsoft are all plain sailing at the moment, aren't they? It's only April, baby. It's only April. We got a lot of time. We got a lot of time. All right, so we'll uh, we'll put a pin in it there for today, folks. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Flip Screen Games Podcast. If you want to write in and let us know your thoughts on the future of E3-like events, uh, PSVR 2's struggles, or Konami getting back in the weeds of video game development, make sure you write into us at questions at flipscreen.games or come and join our Discord where the conversation keeps rolling between episodes. We've got a channel for each one of our shows where you can uh, react to the last episode and talk with everybody in the community about what we were chatting about this past week. So uh, however you choose to get involved, we really hope that you do. Head over to flipscreen.games. That's our website. You'll find links to all the places. You can become a Patreon supporter. You can write into the show. However you want to get involved, we thank you for tuning in to another week's episode. I'm sorry, to this week's episode of the Flipscreen Games Podcast. For the crew, I've been Pete. He's been Steve. We'll see you next week.